You know, that's, I think missing in the church of 2022 is the mention of the blood. We live in a culture where we don't want to talk about the messiness of Calvary, and yet it was the messiness of Calvary that enabled us to have eternal life. You know, the writer of Hebrews tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. It was what was necessary. He shed his blood. He shed it for you. He shed it for me. Uh, again, I believe he was, he was crucified, he was buried, but he didn't stay buried three days later. <laughs> Think about that. Everybody say it with me. Three days later. Three days later, he came up victorious over death, hell, and the grave. I want to read just a, real briefly this morning just a text out of Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, verse number 5 through 7. says, And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. May the Lord add his blessing to his word this morning. We're here to celebrate a risen Savior. Amen. Amen. And he's in the world today. I love that great hymn. Uh, we serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. He walks with us. He talks with us. Aren't you glad this morning that we can do that? Amen. As I start this morning, I want, I want to put a picture on the screen this morning. If you guys will put that up there. Um, there's a painting. Now, now I, I have to, honest confession, this morning I was talking about in the early service. And uh, this is actually a painting that, ha that hung for a long time in the Louvre in Paris, France. They said this morning, I said Paris, Texas. <laughs> <laughs> in their early service. So uh, this is France, Paris, France. So this is a, this is a painting that, held for many, uh, that was held many, many years by the, uh, the Louvre Museum there in Paris, France. It is known, uh, the name of the work is called uh, Checkmate. Checkmate. And as you can see on the screen there, as you can see this painting, uh, it is in private collection now. But anyway, it hung there for a long, long time. And as you can see, you have two people uh, playing chess. And the one on the left is is the devil, it's Satan. And the other guy is just a, you know, I, I told again the early service when I first saw this picture, I, I started thinking of Charlie Daniels, the devil went down to Georgia because <laughs> he was in a bind. And uh, anyway, so I kind of thought about that because it's similar to its meaning. So, so you, have, you have Satan on the, on the left-hand side playing chess. You have this man, this represents mankind on the right-hand side. And as you look, um, Satan obviously has this, grimace about him that he's winning, that he has man in this pretty uh, precarious situation that, uh, you know, he's confident and he's, and he's just kind of like chomping at the bit, kind of like everybody's waiting for that lunch, you know, that you've worked tirelessly to prepare and you're just like, you're just ready, like, hurry up, preacher, let's get this done. Uh, so, so that's what, but then the other side is the mankind in a very desperate situation. You know, he's, he's obviously defeated. And he's sitting there studying this board with this defeatism about him. And, and so the story goes is that there was a, a, a tour group that was passing through the Louvre and they were looking at all the works that were there and they came upon this particular painting entitled Checkmate. And so the tour guide begins to tell them what this painting is about. And as they're looking at it, you know, he tells them that the, obviously the devil is winning, he's, uh, he's about to... Uh, take uh, the other guy and you know and he's losing and all this stuff and and uh, unbeknownst to the tour guide was that there was in that group that he was leading a grandmaster ch uh, chess champion 
And so he's talking about this picture, and then all of a sudden the group moves on. Uh, and they go on to another work, but this chess master, the grand master, stays there studying the board. When the tour guide realized that he was no longer with the group, he looked back and saw him still standing in front of this painting. And so he goes back to him and he says, sir, we've already moved on from this work. Uh, why don't you join the group? And he says, well, he said, well, let me, let me just tell you, I think you need to change the name of this painting. Again, the tour guide, being someone who is knowledgeable of the pieces of art there, was a little bit of gas. Like, what do you mean change the name of it? He said, well, what you don't know, he said, I'm a world-renowned chess champion. I'm a grandmaster. And he said, when you started telling me about this painting, about how that the devil had this man in that spot and he was about to win, he said, I've studied this. I've stood here while you guys moved on, and I've studied the painting. And he said, here's the thing. He said, you, what appears when you look at that, it appears that Satan is the obvious winner. He said, but he's not. He said, if you study this painting, uh, you understand that while it might appear for Satan to actually uh, ready to win, he said, the man still has a move because he has a king that still has one more move. There's a king that still has one more move. I want you to hear that. There's a king who has one more move. You see, now you think about where we are. Are you hearing me this morning? On the cross, Jesus hung there, suspended between heaven and hell. And all of hell rejoiced in that moment when Jesus was nailed to that tree. All of hell rejoiced when they took the crown of thorns and they shoved it into his brow, when they stripped him naked, when they plucked his beard. They all rejoiced thinking that, that, that Satan had won, that this... Uh, this was the, the nail in the coffin, so to speak. And when Jesus hung on that cross and said, it is finished, everybody thought that meant he quit. He was a loser. But they didn't realize that the king had one more move. There was still a move. And three days later, checkmate. Do you hear what I'm talking about this morning? On the cross, it looked like Jesus was defeated. It looked like the plan of God had been thwarted, but three days later, he up from the grave, he arose with a mighty triumph or his foes. Listen, and because he lives, I want you to hear me this morning. If you don't get anything else I say, I want you to understand this morning that no matter what you're going through, what, what may appear dead and lifeless in your life, the king still has one more move. That whatever you're going through this morning, that he can still speak a word and death has to let go. He can still command and things begin to take place because he still has a move left. One more move. What was dead, what was buried, what was hopeless this morning can burst forth with resurrection power because the king still has a move. And I want you to think about that. Without the resurrection, Paul said that it's foolishness what we do here if Christ be not raised. Without the resurrection, our faith has no hope, it has no future, but if God, is, if, if God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, then listen, nothing else really matters. Amen? Nothing else really matters, and no one can argue that Christianity isn't true, because as I said earlier, you can get on a plane, you can go and see the remains of dead religious leaders that have existed throughout man's history, but there's one who's not there, because the king still had a move. And three days later, he came out of that victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And because of that, you and I have victory this morning. You see, we have to remember that the resurrection of Jesus, it wasn't the end of what God was doing. It wasn't an end all. It was really the dawn of a new day and a new era in our relationship with the Lord. Part of the Easter thing that worries me so much 
in 2022 is that if we're not careful, we can go back to the busyness as usual. I mean, think about it. Church as usual, life as usual. You know, Easter comes, we get all excited about it. We have our community celebrations. We'll, in a few moments after service, I'll, if the rain holds off, I'll get in a helicopter. We'll fly over here and we'll dump out eggs and have all this kind of wonderful celebration. We get so caught up in, the, in, in all of that stuff. But if we're not careful, we just slide right back into the status quo. And it doesn't mean anything. It's kind of like, it's kind of like Christmas. You know, we take the baby Jesus and we, we unwrap him from the wrappings and we put him in that manger. And for a month we celebrate. Of course, some of you decorate in September. So from September to... <laughs> so, 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 so we take the baby Jesus out of the, out of the packing and we put him in that manger and we leave him there and we celebrate Jesus. But after Christmas is over and after New Year's is over, we take that baby and we wrap him back up in the, in, in the bubble wrap and then we stick him back in the closet or the attic or the shed and we leave him there till next year. See, that's my problem. If we're not careful, Easter will be one of these things where we come, we celebrate together, we have our fun, we have our dinners, we have our egg hunts, we do all of these things and then we go right back to, to normal. Listen, Easter wasn't the end. Easter wasn't the end. It was the beginning of a whole new day. And, and what we have in modern cultures, there are a lot of people that simply linger at the empty tomb, and they forget that Jesus left that place. He left that place, okay? Yeah, it's exciting to realize that Jesus had defeated death, hell, and the grave. It's exciting to think that Jesus, uh, I, I, I still pictured this in my mind. I, I love this. I hope that God has a VCR or whatever they record on nowadays, <laughs> I'm dating myself. I was telling somebody about cassette tapes the other day. They're like, what? <laughs> uh, I, I tell you what, this is one of the days. I want to I do something interesting. It's kind of a side note here, not anything to do with Easter. But I want to I get some of us older folks to get some of our things that we have from the, back in the day and set up a table out in the gym and then do a quiz with the youth group and see if they can figure out what it is. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> I went over there with an oil, I collect oil memorabilia. So I went over there with one, anybody remember the old-fashioned oil spouts that you had to poke into the can? I went over there and I asked the youth group, I said, what is this? Somebody said they thought it was a, a device to help people take pills. <laughs> <laughs> and I won't tell you what the rest of them were because <laughs> I'd be embarrassed to say. <laughs> but you know, it, it's exciting to think of. This is what I picture when I think of those three days. Because the Bible says he came out victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And so I picture it's exciting to get, uh, we get excited about Jesus and about the resurrection. I get excited when I think about Jesus walking into the domain of Satan and said, hey, give me the keys. You know, John writing in Revelation uh, chapter 1 says, when I turned to see who it was that was speaking to me, he said, I, I saw him, the one who was and is and is to come, and the one who has the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And, and, and I get excited when I think about that. See, the danger in lingering at the tomb is that the tomb is static. Everybody know what that means, right? It's static. It, 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 it's fixed. It doesn't evolve. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't grow. It never moves. And, and that's the problem. See, a lot of people today, they, they want to come to Jesus. And they want to stay at the tomb. Listen, he's not there. He's not there. He is in, he's with us. He's walking and we can be empowered with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And you think about it, when Jesus came out of that tomb, the Bible says that for over 40 days, Jesus, after the resurrection, Jesus went about the countryside teaching and ministering to people. Now, there are a lot of skeptics today that want to question the authenticity of, of the resurrection. 
They say things like he swooned, that he didn't really die, and all these kind of nonsensical things. If you really start thinking about it with an analytical mind, it just doesn't make sense. But, but, but the Bible says he was seen by eyewitnesses that he was alive. In fact, on one occasion, the Bible says over 500 people saw him at once. What was he doing? He was teaching them. He was teaching them how to live in a new kingdom. See, there's two kingdoms that you can belong to. You can belong to the kingdom of this world, or you can belong to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a different way of living. It is a different way of thinking, okay? I, I tell everybody, when man fell in the garden, he fell upside down. All of a sudden, the things that we think's right doesn't make sense to us anymore. Kingdom thinking is a whole lot different, and kingdom living is a whole lot different. So Jesus, for 40 days, taught people how to live with kingdom principles, and he gave them keys to living in resurrection power. And that's what I want to finish up this morning, talking about resurrection power. What are some of the things that we can do to live in resurrection power? See, the Bible says that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us and gave himself for us. That means that, 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 that we're not a doormat for the devil to trample on any time that he wants. That we are more than conquerors. Everybody say more than conquerors. We're more than conquerors. That means that we don't just skate by in life. That he's given us the power to stand firm in our faith and defeat the foes of the enemy. So what are some of the keys? Two things I want to give you this morning. First of all, uh, if we're going to live in resurrection power, it begins with obedience. Obedience. When I was a kid growing up in church, we used to sing this song. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey, right? Some of you, some of you sang that same song. <laughs> See, here's the thing. Resurrection power is available to us, but it doesn't come just from the knowing. It comes from the doing. See, that's why James says, don't just be a hearer only. Be a doer of the word. Be a doer. See, my faith is not something that I necessarily, it's not something that I just hold on to as thoughts and ideas. It is something I do. It, that's why the scripture says, I'll show you my faith by those things that I do. See, if I'm going to dwell and operate in resurrection power. It begins by obeying, uh, it, with obedience. It's obeying what he wants for our lives. And I know that's a difficult thing. See, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's no longer what you feel aptitude for. It's what he says you have aptitude for. It's no longer your plans. It becomes his plans. That's obedience right there. You see, the miracle in obedience, again, is not in the knowing. It's in the doing. And, and, and too many people today want to pick and choose uh, what they want to obey and what they're going to do on their own. And I really believe this. We have so many people today that are miserable Christians. You know why? It's because they're trying to pick and choose what they want to believe and what they don't want to believe. They're trying to decide for themselves what's worth merit and what's not. Well, that's not the ticket. Trust and obey. If you're going to live in resurrection power, then you've got to tap into uh, walking in confidence that God's word is true. Okay? Again, we have many people today that sit in good Bible-believing teaching churches that are miserable and powerless in their face simply because they refuse to obey God's Word. And you know what the first thing they want to throw out? Well, I got a right. I'm not going there, but you don't understand what I'm talking about. How often do we find ourselves knowing what God wants to do in a particular situation, and yet we decide on our own that this is what we're going to do? We'll never know what it is to live in resurrection power until we start walking in obedience to the Lord. When you start walking in obedience to the Lord, even the most grievous things in life take on a whole different perspective. 
you operate with a joy, with a kingdom mindset. You operate with a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. You operate with a peace that surpasses all understanding. So even in the middle of situations that you can't do anything about, you can steer square your shoulders and look up and say, but I know in whom I have believed in, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. That's what resurrection power does. It gives us that ability, but it begins with obedience. The second thing is this. Resurrection power centers in worship. In worship. Now, I'm just going to tell you, worship is vital to live in resurrection power. Worship has to be a part of your life. Worship is so much more than singing a song. Amen? It's so much more than, than singing a song. You know, Matthew, Matthew's version or Matthew's gospel records that after the resurrection, the disciples went to Jesus. And when they saw Jesus, the Bible says, the first thing they did when they saw him, they fell down. And they worshiped. I like that. I love watching people worship. I, you know, if you worship, if you worship in spirit and truth, you can't hardly do it wrong. If you look across on the Sunday morning, you'll see some people with their hands raised. You'll see some people just kind of jive into the, I don't have any moves, so I'm not going to bust one, okay? I don't, I, I just don't, <laughs> I know some of the kids are laughing at me. That's so old. I, that's all I have. I'm, I'm, <laughs> uh, you, you see people swaying to the music. You see some with tears streaming down their, their face. I, again, you have some people that are animated. Worship is a powerful thing. I love watching our kids worship. I've got a video of Audrey uh, when she was real young. She was at the house, and, and uh, we like to YouTube together. She'd say, Papa, I'll play this song. And, and so I'll go, and I'll pull up YouTube, and we'll watch. You know, uh, I'm trying to think of that song. It was a worship song, uh, something about Great is our Lord or something great is, it was, anyway, it was an upbeat song. And so I've got a video, I'm sitting on the couch and she's standing in front of the TV and that song comes on and you know what she does? She starts jumping up and down and got her hands up and she's singing that song and, and, and I'm going to hang on to it because when she gets married, I'm going to play it on these screens right here. <laughs> I'm going to remind her, but it just blessed my heart. You know, you see these kids, and I, I'm just telling you, worship is such a vital part of living in resurrection power. And, and, and again, when, when, when the disciples saw Jesus, John saw Jesus, what did he do? It was a natural inclination to fall down and worship him, to worship him. Worship is a powerful component of our Christian journey, and yet how often is it misunderstood in today's church world? Can I tell you that, you know, many people today confuse worship with styles of music. And maybe the beat of the instruments. But it has absolutely nothing to do with worship. That has nothing to do with it. Worship is first and foremost for God and God alone. Remember when David, the Bible says David got happy in Jesus. <laughs> David had a worship experience between him and just the Lord. And his wife got upset with him. Because David went dancing before the Lord is what the Bible says in Samuel. He danced before the Lord. And the word that he used in, in, that he used in the Hebrew means to to, to jump up and to twirl. I won't do it because I'll re-injure my back, so I don't want to go there. But he would jump up and he would twirl. He would dance before the Lord. And, and she got offended by that. She got offended by that and called him out on it. And he was like, you know what? It was just for him and nobody else. See, worship is like that. Worship is first and foremost for God alone. Our worship is intended to honor God and exalt him above everything else. Because if you understand what that means and what that means, then no amount of worship can ever thank him enough for what he has done. You know, see, here's what worship does. Worship helps us to align our priorities, and it helps us to gain a heavenly perspective. How many have had your perspective realigned 
by work. I, I, I use this example in the early service. Think about it. Have you ever come to church grumpy besides today? <laughs> uh, so, so, so have you ever walked into the church and you really particularly had a bad day or maybe a bad week or maybe a bad life? I don't know. But you just came in. You're just, you're just a grump. You, you know, it wasn't the right side of bed, wrong side of bed. You're just a sourpuss. You just got out of bed. You were angry, mad at the dog, mad at the kids, mad at the husband. I mean, you're just mad at everything. And you come to church and, because a lot of stuff's weighed on you. You walk into church, you sit down, all of a sudden the music starts and the songs and people begin to lift their voice. And all of a sudden, things start changing. You know, all of a sudden, you're not quite as grumpy as you used to be. See, that, that's what I'm talking about. Worship is so vital because when you get into the presence of the Lord, worship brings the presence of the Lord there. He lives by our praise, by our worship. And he comes down, and all of a sudden, things begin to make sense. When my wife had her stroke in 2012 for the past 10 years, every day I care for her. Every day I have to, uh, you know, I, I, I joke, and please pardon me if you're a guest here, I, I love my wife with all my heart, but I always talk about I have to go feed and water her. That's our, I, and I don't mean, don't, don't read between the lines because there's nothing I promise you. That's just our joke. We, we deal with the stress of her being disabled by, by laughter. And I always say, honey, I'm on my way to feed and water you. <laughs> It, it, but, the, but the thing is, that for the last 10 years, the only way that we've been able to cope, the only way we've been able to, able to cope with it is to live in resurrection power because it helps me align my priorities and it gives me a whole different perspective. And I'm saying this morning, if you're in the midst of chaos and situations you can't do anything about, won't you tap into what Jesus has already done? Won't you learn to live in that resurrection power? You see, the thing is, you got to remember the king still has another move. What you're, live, what you're living in right now may seem doomed, and maybe gloom is what is the atmosphere around you, but I'm telling you the king still has a, a move. And you're not, what you're facing right now is, is not over, because as long as he sits on the throne, he still has a move. I love what uh, the psalmist said in Psalm 42, and I'm going to read it out of the message paraphrase, because I think it's pretty cool the way he renders this verse. Here's what he says. Here's how he paraphrases it. Why are you down in the dumps? Isn't that good? Anybody ever been down in the dumps? See, I'm from Alabama. We have a colloquialism in Alabama called the mully grubs. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Why, why are you down in the mully grubs? Why are you down? Here's what he said. Why are you down in the dumps, dear soul? Why are you crying the blues? And here's the solution. Fix your eyes on God. <laughs> And soon you'll be praising again. Isn't that good stuff? Why are you down in the dumps? I mean, again, look at the cross and look at the empty tomb. Why are you down in the dumps and why are you crying rivers? Fix your eyes on Jesus. And soon you'll be praising again because he is your God. I, I, I just, listen, if you're online, maybe this is for you this morning. I'm telling you, go ahead and shout in the living room. That's okay. Just make sure everybody knows what's going on. <laughs> But I'm just telling you this morning, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're going through, don't sit there like there's no, you, the king still has another move. He still has another move. Resurrection power is grounded in worship. Weak worship is weak power. That's as simple as that. Even the trees of the field clap their hands. My son and I went fishing about a week or so ago, and they, they called for the, the weather forecast was light breeze of 50 miles an hour. <laughs> And, 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 and so we're, we're, we're out on Cedar Creek Lake, and I'm watching this light breeze blow everything that wasn't anchored down away. But, but the trees, I was watching them just kind of back and forth, just 
just in the wind. And you know what? I, th I thought of the verse. The trees of the field clap. I thought of the creation worshiping God. I heard the birds singing and the crickets cricketing and doing all those things they do. And, and, and all I thought about was how wonderful it must be to worship the creator God. Again, we're here this morning. I want to tell you, make worship a priority and watch your life change. Watch the power of God flood in your life as you begin to worship him. Because you can't, listen, you can't be grumpy and worship God. You can't be grumpy. So let me, let me talk to the ladies here. Wives, if your husband's a grump, turn on worship music. Chase that grumpiness away. <laughs> yeah, I won't go there. Listen again, we're not here to memorialize a dead religious leader, but we're here to rejoice in a resurrected Savior. The Bible says, listen, think about the same spirit. Paul said, if that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you, how many know he does? Jesus said, I need to go away because if I don't go away, the comforter can't come. But if I do, the comforter will come and he will dwell in you. So if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you, he will quicken your mortal body if that spirit dwells in you. What am I talking about? The king still has another move. You might be in a dead situation. You might be entombed in a situation. I'm telling you, the king still has another move. Don't give up. Don't throw the towel in. Don't say no moss. Don't, don't, just hang on because the king still has a move. See, the resurrection teaches us to pay less attention to the Fridays in our lives and more attention to the Sundays. Anybody know what I'm talking about? See, on Friday, Jesus hung on the cross. See, on Friday, they saw him beaten, scourged. They saw him just pummeled by these, the legion of soldiers, Roman soldiers, the centurions. They saw those long... I, I've, I've seen some of the bushes they think may have been used for the crown of thorns, and they have thorns that are about that long. They saw Jesus with the crown of thorns jammed into his brow. No doubt they were part of the crowd that day when Pilate stands him up and says, Choose. And to the ones that just said earlier, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, are now in the crowd saying, Give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. They were there. They saw that. Peter, being one of his disciples, stood outside when they arrested Jesus. And, and, and with his own mouth, he said, I don't know this man. I don't know what you're talking about. And on Friday, they saw him taken outside the city, nailed on a cross, and hung up for all to see. See, on Friday, everything said, it's over. On Friday, everything that they had given their life for, everything that they had invested in Jesus, many of them left businesses and, and employment and all these things to follow Jesus. And now all of a sudden they saw it was for naught. Here he's hanging on the cross. Because that was Friday. But they didn't know Sunday was coming. So you and I look back with a different perspective and we have to pay less attention to the Fridays. Less attention to the, mo the troubles of the moment and more attention to God's answers and solutions. Do, do you know where the disciples were on Sunday morning? You, you remember, I preached on this many, many years ago. According to John, okay, John's gospel, on Sunday morning, the disciples were locked behind a closed door. That's where they were. Jesus had told them throughout his ministry, hey, destroy this temple three days later. I like that. Three days later. But where were they? 
rather than being camped out in the tomb garden, the garden of the tomb, waiting for Jesus to come, because he told him he was coming back, they're hiding behind closed doors in fear. You see, they saw the empty tomb, and yet they did not believe that Jesus was alive. And I guess as I kind of bring this in for a landing here this morning, so many of our believers today are living behind closed doors. We forgot the impact of the resurrection. When, Jesus, when they heard Jesus cry, it is finished, you know what they thought? They thought he was throwing the towel in. They thought he was done. They thought that their hopes and their dreams were dying on that cross. To tell us die. Accomplished. Finished. See, they thought he was telling everybody, I quit, I'm a loser. But see, they didn't understand that that was on Friday. But Sunday was coming. See, they didn't understand that when Jesus said it is finished, he wasn't saying, I quit. He was not saying, I'm throwing the towel in. When he said it was I'm fin- when he said it is finished, that was on Friday, but he knew Sunday was coming. He knew Sunday was coming. He was telling all of humanity, both then and now, I've paid the price. I've given my life. I paid the price. I've settled the account. I love what Paul said to the Colossians, that every one of us, do you know you had an invoice that was due? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The Bible tells us furthermore that we were born in sin, shaped in iniquity. Every one of us had an invoice that said death. We owed death because we were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. But Paul said that he took our, the handwritten ordinance that was against us, the invoice, and he nailed it to the tree. And you know what it said? It said paid in full. See, that's the Easter story right there. That's the message of the empty tomb. It's paid in full. See, I settled the account. Every one of us. You know what? Jesus loves you this morning. But the Bible says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Don't just generalize and think God loves the world. He loves you. I don't care what a scoundrel you are. He still loves you. And he gave his only begotten son for you and for me. And he took that invoice that said, Mike Mizell owes his life for his sin, wages of sin is death. But you know what? I'm going to pay it for him, paid in full. In a barracks in San Antonio, Texas, 1985, Lackland Air Force Base, I knelt beside a bunk and I said, God, if you can still use me, here I am. And then my last words to him were this, I'm in the military now, what are you going to do about that? And that's the rest of the, and there's more story. But I, I, he took my invoice and he paid it in full. Jesus died. He died for you. He died for me. Yes, he was buried. He was put in a borrowed tomb. He paid the price for our sins so we could be free. So we could be free. He came to give us life and not just any kind of life. The Bible says he came to give us abundant life. See, all hell rejoiced to see Friday when Jesus was crucified. But I'd love to have been a fly on the wall when Sunday came, three days later, when Jesus stood in front of Satan and said, Give me the keys. And walked out victorious over death, hell, and the grave.
Stand with me, stand with me. He did that for us. Go ahead and stand with me all across the building this morning. Listen, we're here to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> Jesus stood in front of his, I mean, just a bit. Jesus stood in front of his disciples prior to his ascension. And here's what he told them. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And here's what he said, but I go to prepare a place. And if I go, I'll come again to gather you to be with me. If he were speaking to us today, he'd say the same thing. He would say, Johnny, in this 21st century, let not your heart be troubled. Judy, don't let your heart be troubled. Betty, don't let your heart be troubled. John, don't let your heart be troubled. Curtis, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me. You believe in God, believe in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. He's gone to prepare a place. Because of the resurrection, I can stand here today and say my hope is built on the fact that He lives and He's coming back. In this life, I know people say, Pastor, I don't want to become a follower of Christ because if I do, that means I have to give up. You know, isn't it interesting how we always gravitate to the negative? We always think of what we can't do anymore. See, that's a ploy of the enemy, by the way, because he doesn't want you to see what you gain. He, did, he, did my, he, he just wants you to see things that you may have to give up. Kingdom living is a different way of living, I promise you. But he doesn't want you to see all that you gain. And I'm here this morning as we close this service out. Do you know Jesus? Is he Lord of your life? See, the greatest decision, you think about the things that you invest most time trying to decide. Careers, you know, colleges, jobs, vocations, whatever. Your spouse, husband, wife, whether they have children or not. There are a lot of things we spend a lot of time thinking about. But there's one decision that trumps every decision, and that is this. Will you accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? See, Jesus one time asked the question, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? So what if you're on For in Forbes Fortune 500 magazine? So what if you're among the richest people in the world? If you lose your soul, you're still lost. Billy Graham was reported to have said that you, you'll never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer because when we breathe our last, it's all over. And the only thing that counts is what did you do with Jesus? I'm going to ask you to bow with me this morning all across the building. Nobody looking around. Very personal, very private. But if you're here this morning, I'm going to give you a chance because I would fail in my responsibility as a pastor if I didn't give you an opportunity. If you're not, if you're here this morning, this may be for the maybe this is the first time you ever heard the gospel presentation. The simple gospel is this: Jesus is the Son of God. He came, he lived a sinless life, he was betrayed, he was crucified, he died, he was buried. And three days later, he came out of the grave victorious. He ascended to the right hand of the Father, where the Bible says he ever lives to make intercession. He's our intercessor and our advocate. But one day he's coming back.
That's the gospel. And my entrance and your entrance to heaven is not about how wonderful you are here in this life, how good looking you are, how many magazines you grace the cover, how much money you have, how your, your investment portfolios. That has nothing to do with you getting to heaven. It boils down to, do you know Jesus? Have you accepted his atoning sacrifice at Calvary? you were to die tonight. Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed unto man once to die. After this, the judgment. Every one of us has an appointment that's been set by God. You can't circumvent it. You can't postpone it. When your time comes, you're going to meet the Lord. That's why Amos says, prepare to meet your God. If you were to stand before the Lord tonight, why should he let you in heaven? Have you confessed Jesus as Lord? If not, you need to today. So I'm going to ask with nobody looking around. I'm going to count to three. If you're here, say, Pastor, I need Jesus in my life today. When I say three, I want you to lift your hand. I want to acknowledge it, and you can put it right back down. Maybe you're, maybe you're here. Maybe you had a relationship with the Lord. Maybe you walked away. You kind of, we would call that backslide. You've backslidden away from the Lord. Say, Pastor, you know what? I need to think. I need to get things right with the Lord. Today's your day. On Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate the greatest event. He lives. So when I say three, I want you to shoot your hand right and right back down. Nobody looking around. One, two. Here this morning, right up, right back down. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Anybody else? Just real quick, Pastor, I need Jesus in my life. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Anybody else? Thank you, thank you. Yes, ma'am. Maybe here say, Pastor, you know what? I want to, I want to rededicate my life to the Lord. I've accepted Christ, but I want Him to be a priority of my life. I need Him to be a priority of my life. There's too many things in the periphery telling me clamoring for my time and my attention. Today, I want Jesus to be priority. I want Jesus to be priority. Again, nobody looking around. When I say three, lift your head. One, two, three. Right up, right back down. Pastor, he needs to be my priority today. Amen, 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 amen. Here's what I want to do this morning. I'm going to say a prayer. And I'm going to ask everybody in the building to pray this prayer with me. And I want you to mean it in your heart. If you raise your hand, even if you didn't, and you say, you know what? I, I really need Jesus. I want you to repeat this prayer after me and really mean it from your heart. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me and giving your life for me. I recognize today that I am a sinner and I need a Savior. I'm lost and I need you to find me. I ask you to come into my life, forgive me of my sin, and make me a brand new person. Today I declare that I give you everything I have, everything I am, and everything I ever will be. I give it to you. Take my life and make me the masterpiece that you have destined me to be. I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and I believe that he was raised from the dead. So according to your word, if my time were to come today, I know I am saved, born again, ready to meet Jesus. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, church. Would you, come on, would you celebrate this morning? Amen. Amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer this morning, maybe for the first time or an act of rededication, I want to be the very first one to say welcome to the family of God. It is a unique family. It is a unique family. It doesn't, this family that we belong to, 
has nothing to do with your economic status, has nothing to do with your ethnicity, your racial background. I, I've got brothers and sisters. I've taught a pastor's class in South Africa many, many years ago, and they were my brothers and sisters in the Lord. We hugged necks, kissed cheeks, and washed feet, and it was a wonderful thing. I've been to Cuba several times, and in Cuba, they're the same thing. They don't talk like I do, right? But they're my brothers and sisters in the Lord. It's a wonderful family that you're now part of. So again, welcome to the family. And if you are rededicating your life to the Lord, welcome home. Welcome home. One last thing I want to do, we can go. This is going to be a tough part, but I want to do it anyway, because I think it's important. We, we've raised, and I'm just going to say this, I think we've raised a bunch of pansies in our culture today. We don't want to stand for, pardon my grammar, we don't stand for nothing. Jesus said, if you are ashamed of me in front of men, I'll be ashamed of you in front of my Father. So this morning, I'll ask you to do one more thing. You've already prayed, but I want you to take one more step, and I'm going to count to three. I, I can count higher than three, I promise you, but I'm going to count to three one more time, and if you raised your hand, I'm going to ask you to do something very bold. Very, you say, Pastor, I don't even belong to this church. That's okay. This is not about church membership. I want you to step out of your seat and meet me right down front here. You say, you know what? Today, I'm deciding Jesus. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. When, 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 when you come, we're going to have people that want to pray with you. We want to pray with you today. Ask God's blessing upon you. So here we go. And church, help me out. One, two, three. Come on, church. Come on. You raise your hand. I want you to come. Come on down. Out of the balcony. Out of the balcony. Come on. We'll wait on you. Come on. Come on down. Today's your day. Amen. 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 There's some more that will be coming. Here's what I want you to do real quick this morning. We're going to pray. Listen, this is important. I know we have things going on, but please, this is a very, very important event right here. This is, I always tell people, the altar is where people are altered. This, is, this matters. I want you to turn to the person to your right, to your left, and say, hey, can I walk down there with you? And if they say yes, would you, would you take them by the hand and would you come down with them and stand with them? Go right ahead and turn next to them and ask them. If they, if they say yes, would you take their hand and come on? One more time, church. Come on. One more time. Come on. Go ahead and ask them. Here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to ask the church to get involved in this. Okay, this is what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask you to stretch your hand towards these that are up front. We've already prayed. We've already prayed. They've already prayed. But I want us to bless them. We are a family. And I want us to pray a blessing over them right now. And listen, I, I love you with all of my heart. Thank you for being with us celebrating the Resurrection Sunday today. Listen, make worship a part of your life. Fellowship with your brothers and sisters in the Lord. It is important. Those of you that came forward this morning, I want to challenge you to get involved in a Bible-believing, teaching church. You don't have a home church, you do now. I'll be honored to be your pastor. Get involved. Get a Bible. Start reading God's Word. Begin to pray. And the fourth thing is, if you've not been baptized, be baptized. Back next Sunday morning, at, at, right at, in this service, we're going to baptize right back here. Stop by the, the hub out there. We'd love to have you sign up. We're going to baptize you next week. That gets a public declaration. I choose Jesus. Let's pray together. Father right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you that we can celebrate 
a risen Savior today. Thank you that we can commit our life to you either as the first time declaration of our faith or, or an act of rededication. Lord, we, we dedicate ourselves to you right now. And as a church family, we stand with these that are here today. Lord, we stand with them. We surround them with our prayers. We pray, Father, that you would begin to un unfold and unfurl a wonderful life. Lord, you have a plan and a purpose. Lord, Jeremiah uh, 29, 11 says, I know the plans that I have for you. They're plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a destiny. Let their destiny unfurl right before their eyes. May every day be a new facet of, of your love and of your compassion, Lord. May they experience the fullness of the life that you came to give them because of Calvary. And Father, we rejoice with them and we pray that you would bless them, uphold them with your powerful right hand. And Lord, when the enemy comes in like a flood, Lord, you said that you would raise up a standard against him. So Father, we pray that that would happen. Lord, raise up that standard. Protect them, Lord. And I pray that you would do something supernatural in their heart and in their life right now. Lord, may they desire you and may they grow in their faith and in their love for you. Lord, we bless them now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's sing this song. together more than riches.
Thank you so much this morning, Lord, for this incredible opportunity to have been in your house, to worship you, to celebrate the resurrection of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Father, I pray your blessings upon each one here as we leave this place. God, keep us healthy, safe, and whole. Father, be with our families, each and every home that's represented here today. God, that your blessings would rest upon them in a powerful way. We thank you for it all. We give you the glory, the praise, and the honor. In Jesus' name, we all said amen. Well, you can be dismissed this morning. If you need to head out and catch up with your kids, they'll be out the main doors. Uh, Head out towards the ball field, and they'll be dropping eggs out there shortly. God bless you.